today, firing up the retro rockets for a look back on one of Italian football's biggest, most influential, most controversial figures of the last half century. Stop blushing, Gabriele. It's the story of Arrigo Sacchi. Plus, rete, 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 we round up Serie A's 37-goal weekend. Hello, Gabriele Marcotti. Hello. Hello, James Horncastle. Hello, James. And hello, 1987. It is spring and a season at the tail end of the 80s, and mighty Milan had just been beaten in the cup for the second time that season by a tiny second division team called Parma. Silvio Berlusconi, one of the most powerful men in Italy, has a solution. He approaches Parma's manager, a slight, balding former shoe salesman, and hands him the keys to AC Milan. At the time, it was one of the most surprising appointments ever. What followed? Four years that revolutionised the game in Italy and beyond. And Meitaki, one of the most famous managers in the world. Nice choice of music today, Gab. A little bit of Vasco there. Thank you. I was wondering, actually, like, who would be the antithesis, sort of in terms of personality, of Arrigo Sacchi in terms of Italian celebrities? And it would probably be Vasco, who's the epitome of the, the aging rocker. He's kind of all the Rolling Stones rolled into one. For right. Us. OK, Vasco, the, the guy who goes beyond the rules, the hairy, the devil-may-care. Sacchi, very much the hairless nerd of culture. So many questions about him. What did he actually do? Did he really revolutionise Italian football? And also, why, if he was so brilliant, did his kind of golden period last so very briefly? But a little bit of background on Arigoni, il pelato, il professore di Fusignano, James. Uh, how much do you know about his, uh, his, his life before Milan? Well, he uh, started coaching when he was he was 31. He's from a small village called Fusignano. He mm -hmm. coached that team, but family background. His his dad had a stake in a couple of shoe factories. Um, he uh, worked on the commercial side of that that business. He was a travelling salesman. He used to tool around in a Porsche with these kind of massive 80s sunglasses pushed up over his forehead. Yeah, which he would continue to wear <laughs> when he was uh, manager of, of Palmer and AC Milan. Those aviators. He's born on April Fool's Day, make of that what you will, in Fusignano. Dad has the shoe factory. He leaves school without qualifications, Saki. He was a bit of a failure as a, a footballer, but after he takes over Fusignano with partners, becomes quite a success as manager. At that point, mm -hmm. but the fact that he doesn't, he left without qualifications, when I pointed it out to him, you know what he said? <laughs> what did he say? He says, Bill Gates dropped out of Harvard. <laughs> well... He did have some connections which could basically help him get into football because um, I think when the Saki family used to go on holiday in Milano Maritima, there was the owner of uh, Cesena um, who I think lived next door or essentially rented the place next door. Um, they got to know each other. He knew of Saki's passion for football and essentially had the kind of contacts to get him onto his supercorso at oh, right, Covechano. Where he met Italo Lodi. Because is... this is, I think, one of the reasons why Marito Sali for a long time went undiscovered, if you like, because he could not get onto a, 
a cover channel course because right. he just didn't have the the requisite contacts. So it took him took him ages. That's why he kind of really did go from bottom to top. Whereas Saki had for a long time his the guy who basically got him his foot in the door was a pre-Moji figure in uh, Italo Allodi, um, who kind of taught Moji everything he needed to know. Um, and, you know, would place him at Cesena's youth team, Fiorentina's youth team, and right. all this sort of thing. And then on to Rimini, where he did well enough to uh, then get the job at Parma. And it's at Parma that on the 3rd of September, 1986, he takes this side, which had been in Serie Chi just a couple of seasons before he'd brought them up, to San Siro in the cup, and beats Milan 1-0, and then repeats that later on that same season because they had a weird Coppa Italia system. They had groups and then knockouts. Bilanciata la difesa di Milan, Fontolan vi passa, poi tocca in qualche modo sul recupero. Nulla di fatto, c'è la rete, la rete di Fontolan. And Berlusconi thinks, wow, this strange young tracksuited figure uh, is, is exactly the man I need to whip this superstar lineup. He's just about to bring in Van Basten and Hullet. I bet they'll listen to this shoe salesman from <laughs> Fusignano. Gab, how much of a surprise was it when Saki got the job? I mean, to some degree in Italy, we have a a little tradition of clubs thinking they're very clever and getting... We have a big tradition of, like, you know, the tactician manager. Right. right? The il, il mago, as, as we call him, you know, the right. magician. Because we think that tactics win games. And there was a, there was a string before and after Saki, right? I mean, I remember... You know, Orrico got the job at, at Inter, Marchesi, weirdly, yeah. at Juventus. You so my Freddy as well? Gigi Maifredi is mm. the other, you know, Mr. Champagne. And can you add Malassani and then more recently Sari into that same category? As I figures think... who don't really have a background in the game who then get top flight jobs and... Well, some of those guys I mentioned did have backgrounds in the game, but I'm yeah. saying they, they like did something in a small club uh-huh. and, then, and then moved up to a big club very quickly. They're more willing to go and take gambles that way. Malizani certainly would fall in the category, as you said, of the people who did not have that background in football. But he was very much in keeping with Berlusconi, right? This is before Berlusconi had entered politics. And I know it's hard for people to fully understand this. But back then, other than people who had a major issue with consumerism, Berlusconi really fit the 80s. And he was likable. He didn't get into politics. He didn't speak out on that. I think the sense with some people was... It doesn't matter whether Saki can do anything right. because I'm Silvio and I'm just going to fix it if he screws up. My name's Joe and I secretly recorded my boyfriend. I don't know any names of women that are good looking. I'm not joking. He really doesn't know about this. Look, Tom Cruise is a good looking bloke. Any closer to home? Closer to home. Join me and my two friends every week as we share far too much about our personal lives. One of the first things him saying to me is that I'm not like other girls that he's been with. That's great. They were naturally pretty, whereas you do look better with makeup on. Oh, my days. Search I Secretly Recorded My Boyfriend wherever you get your podcasts and tell everyone, just don't tell him. You? Yeah, me. No, you're on about pretty as in pretty. So let's now hear what was what we would now definitely call Saki Ball. <laughs> so he arrives at Milan, wins the Scudetto in his first year. They hadn't won a title in, in nine years. They then won back-to-back European titles, which until Real Madrid made it kind of normal, was unheard of. And 
they, it is said, revolutionised the game in Italy and perhaps beyond. So what did Sacchi do? In a nutshell, tactically, he introduced certain concepts. In Italy, everybody played with a sweeper. He moved to, to a flat back four. Before Pep Guardiola came along, I would argue that he was the last guy to really bring serious tactical innovation around Europe. Some of these elements that I'm about to describe already existed in different coaching schools, but he was really the first to bring it all together. So it was a flat back four, no sweeper, generally a high defensive line. Mm-hmm. The The distance between sort of the, the last defender and the first attacker was always always had to be really, really short. So you 25 meters? Something like that. You were creating density and he pressed. And obviously we see teams that press high today that the innovation with his pressing was that he had all these different types of pressing, depending on the area of the pitch, depending on the situation. opponent, depending yeah. on the situation, depending on, you know, what he would call from the sidelines. And that was something which, again, pressing existed before, high lines existed before, but he was the first guy to bring it all together. And I think his other real genius in this was that Milan very quickly assembled an outrageously gifted group of players, paid them enormous amounts of money. He was able to persuade them to buy into his system Mm -hmm. from day one, and he got them to go and just absolutely work their rear end off. This is lost because he seems like a sort of a tactical nerd, but he was also a tremendous, tremendous motivator, especially in the earlier part of his career. And getting people, skill player millionaires, who weren't used to doing this type of work and didn't do this type of work at other stars because you had water carriers who did it for him, that was huge. And there's a whole range of anecdotes related to him, which... I'm sure we've all heard. James, you, you can feel free to relate some of them. Well, I mean, I think, again, context is important here because um, he was cast as a, a heretic. His ideology was complete opposite of what was convention um, and the, in Italy. Actually, the quote I was going to mention was where he, he says that Italy had a defensive culture, not just in football, because for centuries everybody had invaded us. So that's why the mindset was like that. And the most influential columnist who was in many respects more than a sports writer, Gianni Brera, um, had a big part to play in shaping this ideology of what Italian football, in his opinion, should be and how the teams should play. Um, and he went completely against that, you know, and Saki, again, um, loves complimenting himself, loves comparing himself with the likes of Giordano Bruno, who's the heretic burned by the church, Galileo as well, um, as the guy who completely flipped things on the head um, and did things differently, where it was very much kind of Italian football had all these top players, the best in the world, and yet their teams did not take the initiative. They did not play what he thinks is good football. Instead, they would back off, look to counter, and look to win games by improvising or with an individual piece of skill. And that completely went against everything that Arrigo Sacchi was about. And uh, to kind of put that first Scudetto into uh, some perspective as well, they didn't have the three Dutchmen, all of them, in that season. They bought Hullet and Van Basten, but Van Basten had started and finished only three games. Mm. And as Gab was saying, in terms of getting um, the team to buy into his ideas, he also got the club to buy into his ideas as well by basically saying, look, I want Angelo Colombo. And the, the club were like, well, he's just been relegated with Udinese. Why do you want this, this midfield player? Uh, we can get you a much more glamorous, sexy um, signing than that. I want Carlo Ancelotti. Um, and Berlusconi's like, well, Ancelotti's knees are gone. He's lost 20% mobility. 
And again, this is very much Saki's idea that, again, one of the famous quotes he says is, Michelangelo did not paint with his hands, he painted with his mind. It's all about the idea, executing that idea. And Ancelotti had the intellect to be a Milan player. But you just look at Berlusconi and Milan in that time, Berlusconi's businesses, how his approach was completely different. Yeah, Milan would have like a convention before every season where everyone would get together um, in a villa outside the Lake Como and they would plan everything. Um, the club was very strong behind um, Arrigo Sacchi. As we saw the first season, there were some pressure points. They go out the cup, UEFA Cup to Espanyol. Mm. I mean, they were in relegation form at the start of yeah. the season, essentially. But it wasn't just his ideas. Um, uh, from a tactical point of view, they brought in psychologists um, like Bruno Demichelis to train the players mentally to cope with certain situations, etc., like that. All these little things which were extremely innovative and different at the time, a completely new approach, to not only to playing, but running, I think, a, a football club. This is a tremendous story, which Saki loves telling over and over again, but it was just true, was this was in his second season when they, um, when they played Real Madrid in the, in the semifinal. Right. And Real Madrid sent a scout to go and watch him. A little bit like Marcelo Bielsa <laughs> years later, but, yeah. but of course, you know, in Italy, even back then, we were a lot more grown up than some of the losers here. Um, Saki did this thing where for 45 minutes, he lined up his team, his starting 11. Uh, there was no opposition. And Saki said, I am the ball. And all they had to do was position themselves and run around the pitch according to where the ball was. He's watching this and he said, like, you know, it's like they're insane. It's like I saw 11 people playing an actual football match against nobody with Saki running around the pitch screaming and all of them reacting to it. With his megaphone. Uh, yeah. His head, which looked a little bit, to be fair, like, like a, a ball. Well, it, it may have been crazy, but my goodness, it worked. <laughs> One one it had been at the Bernabeu with that classic Saki Milan high line catching Sanchez and Butragueno offside 25 times in the course of the game. Boom. And then they came to San Siro and it was 5 0. They destroyed Real Madrid 5 0. They were 5 0 up after an hour. If you look at some of the, uh, some of the girls, I mentioned Ancelotti who. Berlusconi doubted for mobility reasons. He skips past two players and scores from, what, 35 yards to, to open the scoring uh, for, for Milan that night. Um, it seems to be something that, you know, these genuinely great teams, and I say there are three of them, the Ajax in the 70s, Milan in the 80s, and Pep's Barcelona, certainly the latter two uh, established their legend by beating Real Madrid 5-0. But, you know, I think that was very much the memorable European game that that Milan side had. Mm. There was also the 4-0 in the final that year in, in Barcelona and that, um, those amazing scenes, the, the new Camp with 100,000 fans there as they beat Staubert 4-0. Yeah, and Staubert had won the European Cup, what, three years earlier beating Terry Venables in Barcelona. I think the third goal was all about the three Dutchmen. No? There's, there's right guard lifts it into the box, Hullet nods it down and Van Basten finishes. And, you know, that's, I suppose, that and the incredible defence that to some extent Saki inherited the two things that you really associate that Milan side with. You know, pe people talk about sort of coaching trees in the NFL, the number of people who went on, you know, mm. and Frank Reichardt went on to win the European Cup before kind of losing it. Van Basten obviously went on to 
to, 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 to manage Holland, Holland won the FA Cup, Donadoni managed Italy, Carlo Ancelotti, Nafsad. Well, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I mean, in terms of direct descendants, I suppose players who played under him, but then you look at the guys he influenced. We've already mentioned Sally. I remember when uh, Dortmund played Napoli in the Champions League group stages and Klopp uh, was interviewed afterwards and Mediaset um, put a mic in front of him and he realised that Arrigo Saki was in the studio. Klopp, it was like Christmas Day for him. Everything I, I am as a coach, um, I have my former coach Wolfgang Frank and he took it off him and we, we knew if Arrigo Saki can do what he did with Maldini, Baresi, Albertini and all these guys, then we can do the same, okay, not so good, but tactical discipline, it's, it's no problem. If they can do it, we can do it. And so my team is 10% of the team of Arrigo Saki. Jurgen Klopp there, and in Italy, of course, a whole generation of disciples, as they were known, of, of Saki from Carlo Ancelotti yeah. downwards. Although he's, he subsequently renounced some of well, uh, the, the tenets of high Sakism. He certainly has, and we, we talked about. But what is incredible? A few few years ago, was I did a documentary about the great Milan side, and it was it was me, uh, Ancelotti, and uh, and Arrigo Saki, and Saki is not particularly warm person he tries to be and he motivates and stuff but you know he's not Angelotti personality wise as you can imagine is is the opposite but seeing him in the studio and we played out clips and stuff and and Angelotti got emotional and started crying and I can see myself like so many years later and like he started crying he was like hugging Saki, who you know was sort of like smiling contentedly, um, but 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 it got me thinking. Like you know, you I don't say he's like a cult, but like at that time, yeah. he really had all these massive personalities eating out of their hands, and yet still afterwards they went out and they beat their own path. I'm going to draw a parallel that might make me unpopular with some, but others have raised this. Obviously, the relationships Alex Ferguson had with all his tremendous players at Manchester United was was incredible and so on. They were all on board with him then, and when they left, they didn't all necessarily, from what we've seen thus far, plow their own paths. Right. They all kind of aped back what he gave them. And I think one of the big things that, that Saki actually taught people wasn't just to do things his way, but that you needed to question things and rip things up when you felt strong enough to do it. Mm. Let's just have a little look back at what he counts as his most emotional memories. One, of course, is that incredible 5-0 against Real Madrid. He also looks back with enormous affection on the 3-2 win down at the San Paolo in, at the end of that first season when, when they won the title, which is a kind of slightly, there's, in my mind at least, there's a bit of an asterisk there yes, because, of, there's a big the, asterisk. because of what Diego Armando Maradona's bodyguard said about the real reason that Napoli, who were so much in control of that season, well, let the title reason slip. Reason to watch Asif Kapadia's upcoming Maradona documentary. Okay, Because right. that is touched upon. But what I would say also about that, because it brings us nicely onto Berlusconi again, was he imposed a sex ban uh, <laughs> towards the end of, <laughs> the really end of that season. Yeah. yeah. Um, and of all the people to impose a sex ban as well. Um, I don't know whether... Uh, it's more for him, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what did Hulit say? So Hulit said, he said, I, I want you to go... So this Berlusconi says, uh, Buonasera, I want you to go without um, without sex for the next month just so we can really focus and be mentally, but also physically at 100%. And Hulit said, I, I can't run with my balls full. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I don't know what the outcome of that was. Um, also, watch yeah. watch the. Um, I can't remember which goal it is in that game, but it's one that Hullet sets up for Van Basten. Is he very bow-legged at the time? Or? <laughs> no, quite the opposite. He, uh-huh. he he runs like the wind. I mean, you see how quick he was, how powerful he was. Um, he runs maybe 25, 30 yards with the ball and goes past two defenders and then essentially puts it on a plate for Van Basten. Mm-hmm. And particularly that first season, Hullet was massive for them. Another special moment for Rigo Sacchi from his scrapbook came in 1991 when he had his last game in charge of Milan at San Siro. 83,000 were there chanting his name as he came out into the field. It, curiously, the game was against Parma and it finished nil-nil. But it does... Bring the question around, why did it end so quickly? The story always goes back to um, Van Basten going to Berlusconi and saying either he goes or I go, that the team had had enough of, of Saki's intense methods. You remember those teams and, and, and the, the conventional wisdom was that they can only do this so often because they were, it was so physically demanding, it was so mentally stressful that they couldn't go and and play at those levels in the European Cup and in the league at the same time. It was just simply not possible. And when you dial it down 10% with Saki, it stops working. And that was one of the big issues. That's when Donadoni became really, really important. Because what would happen was when they didn't have the the crazy all-out press and whatever, then other teams would just go and park the bus and... He could triple past them. Yeah, unless you had Donadoni unlocking things one-on-one, they weren't going to do anything. That was a big, big issue for them. Four seasons, eight trophies. So it was a pretty special time and, and knocking off the biggest names in in Europe on the way to those back-to-back uh, European Cups. Berlusconi then, how did that work? He basically managed to uh, talk the Italian FA into taking on Saki on an absolutely massive contract at the time. It was something like three million a year and this is 1991. Yeah, I think it was three or four times what... Uh... Azelio Vicini was earning. and um, So Berlusconi effectively just got him out by saying, oh, I'm going to give you a promotion to the national well, side. Well, the, the interesting thing was is that Berlusconi was afraid that Saki, who basically signed contracts on a, on a one-year basis, a bit like Pep Guardiola did when he was at Barcelona, there was a sense that Juventus really wanted him. And, and so in order to kind of ward him off um, signing for Juve, he kept Saki on the payroll because Saki initially went on sabbatical. His intention was to take over the national team but do it after the European Championships in 1992. The problem was Italy did not qualify for the European Championships and Saki ended up taking the job earlier than expected and Berlusconi then stopped paying him. But this was going to become a problem when uh, Berlusconi Cesu in Campo got into politics because um, Saki was seen as Berlusconi's man and a lot of the left-wing well, this is Saki's theory. A lot of the left-wing papers, they thought they could score points against Berlusconi by basically criticising Saki. Saki's view, That's Saki's view, That's Saki's Right, OK, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on this. Uh, uh, next up, then, let's talk about Saki, says Yuri. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. Saki cites two moments from his Italy career, which lasted from 1991 to 1996, among those kind of special, specialist bits. And they're both from USA 94. One is Baggio scoring against Nigeria at the last minute. Si, goal! 2-1 for 
arrivo del primo tempo supplementare. And also Sasaki, the embrace he had with Franco Baresi after Baresi had missed that penalty in the in the shootout in the World Cup final against Brazil, Italy, of course, under Saki, famously coming within one penalty kick of, of the biggest prize of all. The thing is, though, that makes it sound like he was a success, but that World Cup, there was this strong movement in Italy. There was an association of anti-Saki people with, with, with all sorts of members. There was one very famous footballer, I'm sure he wouldn't like us to mention it now, who publicly said he would be rooting for Brazil in the final. And there were loads of people who felt that way. Well, he's very open about it. Viali. Gianluca Viali. Yeah. yeah. They couldn't bear, or we, many people couldn't bear the notion, for all they'd love Italy to be successful, of Saki getting off the plane with the World Cup with a big, see, I was right all along smile on his I, face. I, I think it was, I mean, it was a combination of things. It was, as national team coach, you have to make unpopular choices, which Saki did a lot. It was the fact that you know, he was associated so strongly with Milan. Berlusconi put them there. It was a whole hype machine. Um, but it's also the fact that they very rarely played good football. I mean, his Milan were great, and, but his Italy side won. And he said that was down to the lack of time that he had right. with the players. Um, you know, essentially, you look at that Milan team, how much drilling he did with them. Um, the theory as well, because they would have theory sessions, you know, not just uh, video sessions and, and, and physical fitness conditioning training. Um, and he just felt that in terms of getting them to play with the rhythm and the intensity that his Milan side did, right. that was not going to happen. And so he would often make unpopular choices like playing some of the, I don't know, lesser known Milan players or lesser likes of that side ahead of the likes of like Musi ahead of Vieca Ward and right. Uh, there was a whole list of I mean like Viali didn't get much of a look in Mancini famously not Bergami was ditched well Dezenga the famous quote about they've killed Spider-Man when, yeah. when he was dropped from the national side he had 53 matches in charge he called up 87 players I mean that was the thing Saki was at this relentless there's another quote from him actually where he says uh, there is no art without obsession which apparently is a quote from a, a Italian writer and poet called Cesare Pavesi I'm not sure if you yeah. he was part of your schooling mm. but uh, that kind of speaks, I think, a little bit to his method and his continual search for perfecting the Azuri, which is not what the, being a Chiti, a, a national team coach, is, is kind of about. Yeah, he, he didn't make the... It's funny because the whole thing... I remember Berlusconi back then. He's never going to do this, right? But he made the point that, yeah, because he keeps calling different players and he doesn't have enough time with them, I, I think he should play the entire Milan team and obviously we've got foreigners and some other guys who are really good. Like, you know, I'll swap you, you know, Marcel Desailly or whatever. And, you know, we can have somebody else come in from another of, of equal talent. And we'll do this for a year for the, for the good of the national side, which would have been a, an incredible, wow. an incredible. So basically trend. Milan would have been the Azuri and then yeah. that team would have gone off to the World Cup having Milan spent had the entire like, season. Exactly. Milan had like six wow. or seven uh, um, Italian internationals. So... It's like, here, I'll give you Van Basten and you give me Mancini for a season and uh, and, and we'll sort it out. Maybe now, not Mancini. What would Capella yeah. do with them, though? <laughs> well, that's the other thing, yeah. <laughs> then you'd still have a... Then you'd have to take Arrigo Sacchi as well because then you'd have, you know, you'd have Fabio Capello in charge. But that 94 World Cup, I think that is when the screws really, though, started coming out. Right. You know, it, I know it's a cliche, the fine line between obsession and... But really, that's when when he found himself sort of just trapped in his own neuroses and obsessions, right? And second guessing of himself, right? 
which she didn't do before. And Euro 96, the next tournament, featured one of Italy's best performances under Saki in any of that period with the, the, the opening game of the group Russia. stage where they beat Russia. Mm. And then Saki revolutionised the team for, or just turned the team around for the second game. Against the Czechs. Against I mean, the Czechs. Uh, it, got beat and go out with a Zola missed penalty at Old Trafford. He exited in the group stage, essentially. Against Germany. Yeah. Um, and... Look, the Czechs and Germany would then later play the final, which is one of his excuses, I suppose. Um, and he, he loves nothing more than basically saying that he woke the Germans up, even though they were already through, but that they, they, they would later say that the best team that they played in, in the entire tournament was Italy in that final game. Um, of the group stage. Of, yeah. of, the, of the group stage. As you say, things were catching up with him. He had been exhausted by his football as much as of any of his players. He makes a... He makes a return to Milan, where Berlusconi's famous uh, aversion to Minestri Riscaldati proves to be uh, very accurate. Milan finishing 11th in the league and in a campaign which saw them losing 6-1 at home one Sunday night to Juventus. I was there that day. My goodness, that was Gotterdammerung. He then goes to Atletico Madrid, somewhat surprisingly, uh, where they finish 13th and he has a brief spell at Parma. But by this point, the doctors are saying... You, you can't handle Great the stress. Match, by the way, him and Jesus heel, uh, Atletico Madrid. Like, <laughs> you know, that's the the Parma thing stands out when you talk about the doctors. Uh-huh. I'll never forget. I mean, I watched this on TV. It was a Parma Juventus game where basically Parma probably played better. I don't even remember the result, but I know Parma lost and Juventus probably got a controversial penalty later. I'm guessing, maybe not, maybe not. But that's how evidently how Saki saw it as one of the great injustices. I remember Antonio Giraldo, who was a Juventus executive at the time. and One of the famous triad. One of the, yes, the unholy trinity who would, who would go down. He's standing there, you know, giving an interview to Italian television, talking about Juventus's mental strength, blah, blah, blah. The games last until the final whistle. We never give up. And then you have Saki in a tunnel, and you can hear him shouting, right? You can, you, there's these security people, so you can occasionally see his head bobbing out, right? And he's like, Antonio, Antonio. Like, and he's like saying like, we played better than you. And if you played better, you deserve to win. It's not fair. It's not fair. We won this game. We won this game. Only the result. The result is a lie. Antonio. And he keeps shouting at him. And like, the other's like turns around and like, you know, the way you would speak to a tantruming child. And at that point, it was obvious that, you know, something had clearly flipped. And it's interesting because now he's a television analyst. Mm. And okay, I really hope he's not listening to this. But... One of the things about him is when you talk to him, and he does know a lot, and he spends his life on Scout and watching games and whatever, but several people in the game have told me that nobody really enjoys speaking to him one-on-one because it always turns into a lecture. What's Allegri? Allegri can't stand it. Um, I mean, there are, what, two or three cases where he's just he just finds it insufferable and tells Saki that that he feels that way notwithstanding having respect for him obviously being a Milan manager as well but he is very much the high sparrow of uh, <laughs> and he looks he looks like it Saki and he has this he has a column in Gazetta as well as appearing on TV Have you ever read it well, it is just always yeah. he's lecturing. Yeah, I can't. Every now and then I think yeah I should ha- about, should read this but that's such a shame that a man who hits such highs after it seems to live so much in, in in the shadow of it. And it's also, I think, you know, it's probably worth mentioning when we talk about stuff he says on TV. 2015, when he came out with that extraordinary interview, when he said this. Io non sono racista, ho avuto Riker, però vedere così tanti giocatori di colore, vedere così tanti stranieri, 
I'm not a racist. I had Frank Reichardt as a player, but to see so many coloured players is an offence to Italian football. Now, I'm sure he said he was misinterpreted, but it's really disappointing to see a man who revolutionised thinking in so many ways be so backward in his attitudes there. His defence on this, what he came out and he said, was seeing so many foreign players, right? Because this was the era where after the Bosman ruling, everybody yeah. would go and bring in 16-year-olds. And this is right? a youth tournament where essentially you're meant to be bringing through the young players of the country. Exactly. And you could make the argument that, yeah, you know, I mean, just people have had this issue here in England, right? Some Arsenal and Chelsea youth teams have had like six or seven players who, you know, came over at 16 from Holland, whatever. The problem is that's not what you freaking said. Yeah. You said players of color. Right. And actually, you didn't even say that. You said something that's less appropriate than that. Um, that is a slap in the face to the thousands of young Italians of color who are born in Italy, who have Italian citizenship, who might be mixed race or, or, or not mixed race, who just might be born to, there is such a thing as, as, as black Italians, you know? That is the really damaging message he, he sent. And because we're talking about Arrigo Sacchi, when he went and explained his comments, what a normal person should have done, but this is a lost cause with Saki, is say, oh, I misspoke. I meant all these foreigners. Obviously, I don't mean players of African descent because there's tons of Italian of Af- Italians of African descent. Instead, he came back with this, no, I'm not racist because of Frank Reichardt. And at that point, The Ron you know, Atkinson gambit. Anyway, had a huge impact on the game. A game that once was defensive these days certainly isn't, something, and how about this for a segue, that was proved most emphatically by the most recent round of Serie A matches. 37 goals. We'll touch on those after this. Busy weekend in Serie A, which finished with the big game at the Stadio Olimpico. Lazio all over Juve. Juve heading to their first defeat in the league of the season. Boom, what happened? Lulic happened, I thought, above all. Was that the problem? Well, this idiot, you see the guy running, you know, it's fine. You want to put an arm out, hold right. somebody back. You don't do it in the penalty area against Juventus when the guy's at a full sprint. Chesney happened as well, though, because Lazio could have been 3-4 up at the end of the yeah. first half. But, I mean, as, as Gab says, if the ball comes through the Cancelo, uh, he's offside. So it's completely useless foul from 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 Lulic um but I mean hats off to to the way Lazio played yeah. I imagine Simone Inzaghi's reaction would be similar to Arrigo Sacchi's after that uh, Palmy Juventus game <laughs> in terms of how well they played yeah and were it not for Chesney and also for some pretty poor finishing I would say oh from Immobile, from Immobile mm. um they could have been two or three goals up at half time I thought Juventus obviously Benucci's now going to miss a month they've just sold Benatia to Qatar to but go it's and okay because Cáceres is back and also yeah Cáceres who's hardly played in two and a half three years yeah. uh, but De Chilio can play as a centre back as well I think this could come back to haunt All right. Juventus well, and it, the other thing James why they struggled so badly in that match is Bonucci and when he went off they lose a playmaker right. Cancelo didn't start they haven't got a playmaker Pjanic they didn't have a playmaker those are the three three guys that make that team tick when it comes to building up from the back or even just like Bonucci balls over the top for Ronaldo and Dybala to volley in. Right. I think they, they looked all at sea. And Chan had a... I mean, not only did he score an own goal, who's the best Lazio finisher, <laughs> um, but 
in front of the defence, he had an absolute nightmare. Yeah, which is something that Allegri himself last touched four, on. Okay, I'm not going to say that uh, mm. Scudetto's wide open, because obviously it isn't, but for last four games, yeah. Atalanta, Sampdoria, Lazio, three of those, and Cable, right? Other than the Cable game, because, I mean, Muppet would do well against Cable. Three of those four games, <laughs> Juventus played really, really badly. And I thought we're fortunate and to come away with some points. And yet they're further ahead of Napoli than they've been all season. 11 points now, the gap, to Carlo Ancelotti's side. Uh, Napoli only managing a nil-nil draw in their clash with Milan, a clash that was then repeated in a far more uh, exciting game. Is that fair, the Coppa Italia quarterfinal? Yeah, last t- night. Uh, with uh, Piontek getting his first two goals for, for Milan. The headline on the front page of Corriere dello Sport today was good because um, Gattuso called him Robocop because he only says, Voglio fare gol. Volume uh, Fadigol. And uh, the headline was Robocopper. Like, oh, uh, Robocopper. Copper Italia. Copper Italia. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So Simone Inzaghi left uh, less than pleased by events this weekend. His brother Pippo, Gab, he's gone. I know. Sacked from a uh, terrible Bologna side. Joey Saputo, who mm-hmm. owns a team, is supposedly now going to get more involved. And uh, He takes press conferences. Well, you mentioned <laughs> last week, Gab, that he was looking to shake things up. And after they, me. I wonder how he knew. After they, after they got shaken up by uh, Frosinone, 4-0 at home, and this a Frosinone team had been beaten 5-0 by Atalanta in the previous round, uh, it was time for Pippo uh, to well, pop off. And, and Dasinis and Mihalovic has come back in as managers. Isn't that exciting? They are three points from safety. Empoli, the team they need to catch their first game or the first game under Mihalovic will be this weekend at Inter. Be interesting. Yeah, it's all club as well. I mentioned a lot of goals this weekend. Yikes. Of course, Quagliarella was back on the score sheet, which means he's now equaled the all-time record for consecutive game scoring. Yes, uh, although he did miss one game in that run. So consecutive appearances, I would say. Right, okay. Um, But he uh, now has the chance to break the record against... Napoli. Napoli. Record held by Gabriel Batistuta, yeah. So Sam beat Udinese 4-0 at the weekend. Uh, Quagliarella involved there. Also, Gabbiadini uh, finding the net. First touch, goal. Boom. Bingo. Uh, Goals galore elsewhere. The the match you were talking about last week, Atalanta-Roma, that proved a quiet affair. Yeah, damp squib, wasn't it? Yeah. Roma 3-0 up just before half-time, and then Atalanta got one back, and... Wow, three two, then they missed a penalty, and then three three. It was extraordinary. Yeah, Zaniolo, sorry, yeah, getting everybody excited. Yeah, so James Rodriguez goes and like tweets out something about the result. There's a little fire sign in his tweet, which Duvan Zapata came back and he wrote. What did he write? Like something like, "So you're on your way here, are you?" You know, it's like that. And Papu Gomez says, "You can have my number ten shirt." This is the other thing that's happened in the last forty eight hours. Is that. Um, Gianluca Di Matteo was reporting this that Roma put in a bid for Josip Ilicic I mean, I mean clearly paving the way for, for James uh, to come in to Bergamo you know <laughs> you, can I say something about that yeah I mean Di Matteo is, is one of the, the best ones out there but if I were Atalanta and I wanted to troll Roma and just go and mess with their mind that's exactly what I would do because Roma need Josip Ilicic given their style of play whatever as much as they need a hole in the head or yeah. as much as they need Javier Pastore, Pastore. right? <laughs> so this is exactly like, it's something, I, I'd love it if, they, if it was established that like his source was was Atalanta and uh, and Ilicic's agent, you know. Yeah, but so Hamas is not coming to Atalanta, kind of just... It should be announced today. Oh, that's amazing news. He's coming to visit Duvan Zapata and they're going to have Great. a big Colombian barbecue and then he's going to go back. Hey, the Chievo news, Gab, you love this bit. Chievo taking on Fiorentina... Both teams are in the wrong half of the table. 
This was an absolute stunner. Yeah, for the second week running, uh, Fiorentina take the lead and then get uh, uh, reduced to 10 men and look like they've compromised everything. Um, and yet they managed to, to get, not only just get a result, which they did against Samp, um, but win this game and talk about stepping up Federico Chiesa. I mean, he um, well, he scored twice um, and he hit the bar as well. Just a, an incredible performance from him. And also uh, Muriel, again, yeah. kicking things off. You know, he scored two on his debut, scored again in this one. Looks like a uh, a great January signing for Absolutely. It's Fiorentina honest. slip into the uh, the left-hand side of the table. Finally. Mm. Finally. So the situation, and as I mentioned, Juve are 11 points clear of Napoli. Napoli are eight points clear of Inter, who lost to Torino. And then Inter have a five-point advantage over all the teams battling for the fourth Champions League spot, who are Milan on 35 points, Roma on 34 points, Sampdoria on 33 points, and then Atalanta and Lazio on 32, with Torino and Fiorentina only two points back. Boy, busy. Yeah, and just quickly on Inter, we should probably mention that, you know, Ivan Perisic, who is Inter's second highest paid player, who has been stealing money for a long time, including Inter very cleverly gave him a new contract through 2022. You thought Arsenal were stupid with Ozil? You know, they gave, they gave Perisic an extra whole, a whole extra year. What does he do? He comes out and he says, eh, well, I, I don't want to be here anymore. And this is a guy Spalletti had personally vouched for him, gave us his whole, like he, like he vouched for Nangolan. Right. I feel a little sorry for Spalletti, but I also blame Spalletti for saying, like, these two guys, evidently, they tricked you, and you're too good, you're becoming soft in your old age. Uh-huh. Only saving grace for Inter is that there's a grown-up, or a supposed grown-up, at the club now, in the form of Beppe Marotta, who came out, and he, he basically said, no, I appreciate players might want to leave, and that's fine, um, but we're going to go and... And, and protect our investment. Or the way Spalletti put it, he's like, oh, look, if Basic wants to leave, he can leave. But uh, he just has to leave a huge pile of money behind. If right. he can do that, he can leave. Like, okay. Yeah, Does this mean happen. that Modric is not going to enter them? Oh, just enough with the Modric. Okay. Seriously, no. Like, all, all these people, get out. Get out of Inter. Get out these people with this stupid, the stupid, the, 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 the Perisic, the Modric, the... the Stupid seam of cycle. How much time and money and nonsense? Oh, oh, there's a World Cup semi-final. He must be good. Like, no, he's not. He's rubbish. You saw him when he was there. He, he was like the backup to the backup to the backup at Atletico Madrid. Ma basta. Who, who are Inter playing this weekend? Inter playing Sinisa Mihalovic's Bologna. Oh, right. Sorry, you yeah, you did mention that. Ago. I'm sorry. I got so caught up in the excitement. <laughs> exactly. So, oh, another <laughs> thing we mentioned was Napoli-Sampdoria. Juve are hosting Parma. That'll be fun. You know, like the good old days when <laughs> Giraudo and etc. And uh, the match clue of the uh, of the weekend, the big game, is Roma-Milan in, in, a, in a massive battle for uh, advantages in the race for fourth spot. 11 have announced they've lost the rights to Serie A. That'll now be on Premier Sports. You probably know already, listener, don't you? Uh, we'll return next week with more of this kind of thing. I do hope you'll be joining us for that. And now from Gabriele, from James and myself, it's Arrivederci. You've been listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production. And for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. <laughs>